Hello, and welcome to Paper Cuts, the program that explores zines, small press, and DIY publishing. This episode, our second live recording held at the Washington Project for the Arts, features Kimmy Hanauer, an artist based in Baltimore and founder of the project Press Press, in conversation with Georgie Payne, Valerie Weissman, and Ikram Lakdar, all of whom are co-founders of the DC-based arts web publication, Dirt. This conversation was held on March 16th, 2018. And again, as with our last live episode, there's still some growing pains with our recording capabilities here at Paper Cuts. Right before the event, one of our mics gave out, so a few people are sharing microphones. With that in mind, you may have to turn the volume up on my questions and the responses of Kimmy and Ikram. However, Valerie and Georgie came in loud and clear. Thank you to Jennifer Lillis, who tried her best to hold all the audio together during the conversation. And a big thank you to the Washington Project for the Arts for hosting Paper Cuts. And now, our conversation. <laughs> which is good so that everyone can then hear us. Um, but as Jordan said, Paper Cuts uh, started off in, uh, in Brooklyn at Clock Tower Radio as a program for uh, zine and DIY publishing where we were talking to people who create and publish works. Uh, it existed as a reading program and a conversation series. And one of the things that I'm really excited about with this bookshelf series and having Paper Cuts exist in this space is that this series of events that we're doing here at the WPA will uh, serve to relaunch Paper Cuts as a podcast independent of Clock Tower Radio. So I'm really excited to be here talking to everyone for this series of events and very excited to be working with WPA and with Jordan and Peter and Natalie, all who have been uh, just wonderful to, to work with. Um, so again, thank you for coming by and for spending your evening with us. Um, I'm going to introduce everyone here on the panel discussion, or discussion, not necessarily <laughs> panel. Um, and then uh, both groups, both Dirt and Press Press, will talk a little bit about their endeavors. And then I have a list of questions. Um, what I'd like to do, though, even though I do have questions written out, is keep this rather informal and very conversational. So if you do have something that you desperately want to know, uh, feel free to like wave me down and we'll put you on the spot and let you ask a question. So uh, one of the, the great things with this program, particularly tonight, is trying to get two organizations together that have been 
I want to say almost like parallel tracks of uh, community-based publishing programs and platforms. Um, Press Press from Baltimore and Dirt located uh, primarily here in DC, but also like everywhere. So we'll go down the line here and, and introduce everyone. Uh, first up is Press Press. Um, Press Press is an interdisciplinary publishing initiative established in 2014. Press Press's publishing practice is organized around two key goals. First, to shift and deepen the understanding of voices, identities, and narratives that have been suppressed or misrepresented by the mainstream. So far focusing on immigration and race in the United States. And second, to build networks of relationships through publishing practices centered on self-representation and gathering. Through an understanding of publishing as the act of gathering a public. Press Press's stream of works include public cultural programming, an open access publishing studio that's based on an exchange economy, publishing workshops in an immigrant and refugee only space, and the ongoing production of print and digital publications. Press Press operates out of a storefront studio and library in Baltimore. Press Press was founded uh, by Kimmy Hanauer, is that correct? Uh, Kimmy is an artist, writer, and cultural organizer, originally from Tel Aviv and based in Baltimore. In her practice, she is dedicated to two primary <laughs> goals. Um, <laughs> I just realized like, I wrote both of those titles in the same way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a good way to like, repeat everything for everyone, so if you, if you miss it the first time. First, the cultivate model and methodologies that can serve as utopian alternatives to our current realities. And second, to develop networks and spaces that can translate these alternatives into concrete experiences. Her work has been exhibited internationally and is held in the collection of the Whitney Museum of American Art. Kimmy received a BFA from Maryland Institute College of Art in 2015. Dirt, the hometown heroes. <laughs> Dirt is an independent platform and resource for accessible critical arts discourse within the DC, Maryland, Virginia area otherwise known as the DMV, which really confused me coming here from Brooklyn and Pittsburgh and the DMV was where you stood in line forever to get a license. <laughs> and you do stand in line forever because traffic here is terrible. Um, founded by a collective of art writers, art historians, artists, and curators, DIRT hopes to be an answer to the problematic lack of coverage, visibility, criticality, and authenticity within our immediate art community. DIRT seeks to survey, publish, and disrupt the cultural landscape through essays, public intervention, exhibition reviews, poems, interviews, and other non-traditional formats. With a focus on highlighting the DMV's art, culture, and history, they use their online platform to advocate for a community's network of artists, exhibitions, events, and happenings in both traditional and unconventional spaces, while mediating between the forces that be within the rapid changing, uh, within the rapid changing city to imagine areas of growth. Now I'm going to introduce everyone on the panel. <laughs> um, or everyone on the panel from Dirt. Valerie Weissman is a DC-based artist and administrator. Um, she may also be available for freelance gigs. Um, she is working in development and communications uh, at Transformer. She collaborates with chefs, artists, and organizations to produce creative projects and host events that explore relationships between the built and natural environment, food, art, and culture. Previously, she has worked with national arts organizations, including Elsewhere Museum, an artist residency in Greensboro, North Carolina, the Durango Arts Center in Durango, Colorado, and North Carolina-based cultural 
nonprofits and individuals. She holds a BA in communications from Goucher College in Baltimore. And just give me a break from speaking so long. Everyone give a round of applause to everyone. <laughs> to, uh, to bio <laughs> Georgie Payne is a DC-based arts organizer and the current exhibitions and program manager at Transformer. Born and raised in Washington, DC, Payne holds a BA in art history from Tyler School of Art and has worked at numerous local and national arts organizations, including most recently, Elsewhere, uh, Museum and Arts Residency in, Gre in Greensboro, and the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation in Miami. Round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Ikram Lakhtar is a Tunisian writer, curator, and cultural activist based in New York City. Her writings have appeared in publications such as Be More Art, Arts Black, and Tunisia Live. She previously worked as a social media specialist in DC and worked internationally at David Crutt Arts Projects in Johannesburg, Foundation Proa in Buenos Aires, and Internationale de la Culture in Tunis. She holds a BA in International Relations and Museum Studies from Connecticut College, and is currently a graduate student at NYU Tisch School of the Arts, earning an MA in Arts and Public Policy. One more round of applause. <laughs> and from here on out, I'm gonna be trying to speak as little as possible outside of the <laughs> questions that I have to ask. Um, but I did want to take a minute and allow uh, both Press Press and Dirt to tell you a little bit about themselves outside of these written statements. Um, so Kimmy, if you want to take it away for Press Press first. Um, sure. I'm not sure what to say because you do like the intro stuff at all. I just say, I guess I'll say two things. So one thing is I organized Press Press with two other people, uh, Domen Gion and Valentina Cabeza, who couldn't make it tonight. Um, and I guess I could share about how Press Press started. Yeah, please. Um, so Press Press started in 2014 when I started this partnership with an organization called Refugee Youth Project in Baltimore that does after-school programming across the city for refugee youth. Uh, and I started in one specific site uh, to basically start like their arts programming. And the idea of the group um, that like I and my collaborators had at the time was that we would start a group that was a completely second language English speaking space, so only second language speakers, facilitators, and students were welcome. And we just like hung out. And there wasn't really an objective. It was more just like hang out and maybe work on art or writing stuff if people felt like it. Um, and there were sort of two basic principles that we followed. The first was that we never imposed the project onto the group. It was always like, if we did do like an art project or a writing project, it was always coming out of the conversations that we were having together. Um, and secondly, we never pushed assimilation into American English speaking models. Rather, we embraced everybody's dialects and modes of expression. So when we did print poetry eventually in zines, we would never correct how people like correct to like American um, spelling models or anything like that. And when we started publishing stuff, uh, we wanted to give the publishing entity a name, and that's how Press Press started. And since then, um, that was like four years ago. So that's remained a part of our work, but uh, we've grown to do a lot of other things. And um, those sort of two ideas have really guided the other things that we do today, like running a space, a library, um, and doing much broader publication projects that involve like sort of like year-long collaborations with a bunch of different people. And our youth usually participate in those projects. And cool. Dirk, do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, yeah. maybe how, how you all started? Sure. So we are um, an online 
platform and publication. Uh, we are founded by six um, six writers, uh, art historians, you know, everything that you listed already in the bio, but we come from all different backgrounds, working in the arts and writing in the arts and practicing as artists. Um, <coughs> so we founded with six. We brought on a seventh because we needed even more um, editors and writers. Um, and we've been running for a little over a year now. Um, we do, uh, we publish about two articles a week, I mean, a month, sorry, um, on our website. But we also host events. Um, we do projects with organizations. Um, we host conversations and interviews and all types of things and dinners. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been interesting. So a lot of the group uh, worked together at Transformer. They emerged out of like a workshop program, an arts education program, and then uh, some of the rest of us kind of came on. And it's been interesting because uh, we're all coming from different backgrounds and have different experiences and different uh, experiences and levels of with writing. Um, and so it's been kind of bringing different experience, different like activity levels and uh, skills together. And so it's been, we usually work, uh, we have we have artists that and writers that pitch to us. Um, so people will approach us with story ideas or we'll approach other people. And we work specifically with the writers through the process. So we pair each, everyone that pitches with us with an editor. Um, and they work through the process of, you know, whether it's really just developing the article from the beginning or ed and editing and then through the process of publishing. Um, and then we've also, it's been interesting to do collaboration. So we worked with uh, Chris and Navigation Press. They had a visiting artist, Sadie Barnett, who did, um, she was doing a residency and producing a print with them. And so we were able to go there and interview her about the process of creating that print and working with the students. And then we hosted a dinner in our space um, and the print release, and we did a Jeffersonian-style dinner, so we fit 20, if anyone's been to Transformer, it's a little small, uh, we fit 20 <laughs> people in there around the table um, and hosted just one conversation um, for the whole table, and so that was this dinner. Um, <laughs> and so that was exciting for us to be able to kind of host our first real event and work through that, like what that meant for us and what kind of collaborations we wanted to do. Um, and then we also, uh, we, a lot of our, um, we've got a lot of backing from Common Field, which is an alternative arts organizing network. Um, and they approached us about producing uh, a series for um, this publication. And so we produced a seven-part series about archives. And so instead of, they were like, do you want to produce one essay? We're like, how about we do seven instead <laughs> uh, and see how that goes. Um, so we produced this about different versions and different takes on the archive. And then we did a live archiving event while we were there, so encouraging people to really activate the archive and work on their own narratives and what does that mean to like bring people together. Um, conferences can have some sort of like in-between dead spaces and um, we were interested in sort of like what's happening in between like during the sessions but also after the sessions and those conversations that are happening, what happens over dinners and those sorts of things. Um, and then we basically produced a whole web archive to try to organize that. And it was you know, moderately successful. It's hard to get people to upload things to a Google Drive. <laughs> but um, uh, we had a whole station that was set up. And so it's been exciting to be able to work on those collaborations and kind of move outside of our website to yeah. do some of that stuff. 
One thing I don't think that we touched on in our bios is that uh, we are all founded as, we are founded when we were all living in the DMV area and within the year that we created DART, um, three of our members have since moved outside of the area, um, but we've decided as a group that we would still remain centric to the DMV. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're not writing about uh, artists or things going on outside of the area, but they have to relate back to our readers here in this general vicinity or have a conversation of what happens when you leave the DC area, or what happens uh, if artists are in conversation across those boundaries. And yeah, Ikram is an example of that. She's <laughs> living in New York now, <laughs> which right. is not so far, but. So um, yeah, I'm really happy to be back in DC in real life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's been a great journey um, to transition from being in DC and launching there as a, a collective, a non-hierarchical collective, um, to this sort of like mutable dirt where we meet, we still meet regularly every week, um, and we have been sort of experimenting with ways um, in which we talked with each other, and ways how we navigate our growth. Um, as Thel and Georgie mentioned, we've been growing a lot since like our first, let's, you know, um, we paste uh, our posters <laughs> at midnight to like, yeah, we have pitches coming in every week. Uh, so we have been consistently meeting online. Um, well, uh, we have th three here in DC or four? Yeah, four. the three of us that are, four of us that are located in, in the DC DMV meet I'm in person and then the rest are on the internet. In New York <laughs> and then Martinez in um, Atlanta. And so we, we, have, we have our technical difficulties sometimes, <laughs> but we've managed to overcome those and um, consistently have our voices, all of us together and um, it's been really good to see how much we can do with this with this like non-hierarchical um, organizational structure um, and so that's something that I think is very integral in our organization and it's the way we see kind of like the future of our writing and our activism group decision making yeah <laughs> Hit us with the questions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So first, I want to talk to you about existing as a publishing platform, but almost split that up into two parts. Uh, the act of publishing, selecting specific works to put either online or into physical books, and the idea of uh, the Dirt website or Press Press, the physical space, as a public uh, and or generative space. Um, so one of the things I'm really interested in with what you're engaged with is either opening up for space for people to produce uh, zines, publications, events, or things like this, um, even if it's like not necessarily super structured at first. You're saying these were developing out of more hangouts, or the idea of taking pitches from people and working with them to develop your, their writing, uh, really focusing on their craft and building something that was not necessarily expected on the outset. Um, I wanted to ask about that like push and pull between the two, or if there is one, and why that's important to you. 
Yeah, I think that a lot of the times the writers that we work with uh, are new to writing critically about art or new to talking about art at all or new to writing. <laughs> um, so we really value being able to partner them one-on-one -on -one with an editor um, and really we're not working on such tight deadlines that they're able to work together to publish something that they both feel we both feel confident about and proud of. Um, and however long that takes, it's a lot of back and forth, and um, we're able to share that the resource of like having so many editors and being able to um, not only pay our writers but also um, pay them in like the feedback of learning to write in that style. Or, yeah. So part of how. Like one of the reasons we have a space today, which is not a new thing anymore, but it still feels like a new thing. We got it like almost two years ago now, um, or like started renting the space two years ago now. But part of the reason we started doing that is because uh, a lot of our publishing practice is really, is like sort of looking at publishing as an action of gathering the public and trying to understand what that means. Um, and so a lot of our work is really socially based. So for example, in 20, 15, or yeah, in 2015, we started this project called If I Rule the World, which was the first sort of collaborative um, long-term project that we did, apart from working with you, uh, where basically it was coming out of conversations during the Baltimore Uprising, uh, and that were, and like events that were happening. Um, we started talking with people, and this conversation came out that was uh, inspired by the Nod song, If I Rule the World, which I hope you all know, and if you don't, you should YouTube it. <laughs> Um, but basically in the song, Nas is rapping about what he would do if he ruled the world. And so we started this project that took a year where we talked to different um, artists and activists and kids and all sorts of people and facilitated a range of artistic collaborations as well as conversations inspired by that prompt. And that was super, super socially based. So like we would like hang out with people, uh, throw parties, do all sorts of things. And all those things um, became interpreted into a, a publication and a conference and a website. And through that process, we realized that like, it would be really helpful to have a studio to do these things in instead of just like moving around to a bunch of different places, which that was cool too, but it sort of got hard. Um, like one less thing to keep track of. And so that's why we moved into, or finally found this space that was affordable and started doing that type of work out, out of that space. And so in part of doing that, um, it was also a way to like create a way for people to participate at varying degrees. So if people just want to hang out or read a book or make a zine, or if people like that's one way to be involved. Um, it's not necessary to just like be an author. Like I guess what I'm saying is that there's like various ways of um, levels of participation in the project and having a space that can just be open for events is one way to create sort of more um, opportunities for that. So I guess, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of like why we have it and how it works. Yeah, thank you. No, it absolutely does answer it. <laughs> um, the next question I had is about location. Because um, both projects really exist within their uh, specific city, but I'm curious as to how your operations exist at the local level in relationship to the larger region, in relationship to like national levels of engagement. So going to Common Code in Los Angeles or going out on the book fair circuit, um, how do you present uh, press press to an audience outside of Baltimore? Or like 
how do you present dirt to an audience outside of the DMV, even though yes, you are covering areas outside of outside of here, but the website is still dirt DMV. So like, where do you see your, your local actions uh, at, a, at a larger scale? Yeah, that was actually like a three hour meeting that we had about like, should we drop the DMV or should we keep it? Because our website is really like, it's dirt and then DMV. <laughs> like, we're not dirt DMV, but um, we, yeah, it was a long conversation of talking in a big circle about should we keep it or should we drop it? Like, is it confusing? Are we limiting ourselves? But I think that we were founded because there is a lack of coverage and a lack of criticality in conversation happening within the, or documented within the art scene here. And so that was important to us to keep, but. Um, so we yeah. also talk about, we joke about how like third DMV and diaspora because we want to also um, cover and support artists who have migrated from DC for the reasons why mm -hmm. they do. Um, and so it's important for us to give them uh, a resource and a platform. Um, and we also see ourselves as sort of like a model, even though we are in just focused, within our focus, we hope that we would outgrow that focus into a larger narrative. Um, and so much is happening in, or you know, so much is happening, so much is not happening. And so it sort of like gives us this um, nice space where we can have a base and also kind of, you know, our name dirt being like a ground um, and something essential where things can flourish from. And so that's also an abstract metaphor for how we operate. Yeah, but I think uh, like you were saying, participating in projects like the Common Field Convening in Los Angeles that we got to participate in this past October um, was a great uh, opportunity for us to reach a national audience. And the project that they commissioned us to do about archiving, um, you know, speaking about archives on a national scale, it wasn't DMV-centric in that same way, but it applies to our audiences. Um, and I think within that conference, we were participating in a national dialogue um, with other arts publications and um, being recognized as a valid peer was <laughs> validating. <laughs> and it's really great to be. I mean, yeah. the idea, like the problems exist across the board for all artists and all arts organizations and everyone that's working. It's not like they're, they might have different like combinations that come together, but we're all experiencing the same things. And so like, how do you either put a lens on it for, we're in DC, so we're thinking through that, but it's not like you're not having the same problems in LA or the same things. Yeah, so like our website isn't talking about like the metro broke down yeah. today. <laughs> like it's conversations with artists that are just as valid as a conversation you'd read with a New York artist. Like why do we read hyperallergic, but we wouldn't read something about DMV. Yeah. Uh, and so we try to keep our coverage broad in that sense that you know anyone anywhere could relate to the dialogues that we're presenting. I think I feel similarly. I mean, I think like press press is, is um, the way we work is very context-based. Like nothing, everything emerges from the context that we're in, and then I always feel like the context is part of the work. It's not separate from it. Um, so it's definitely really Baltimore focused. But I think. 
it's like Baltimore and beyond, so things that are kindred, like you're talking about, um, or ideas that are kindred to the things that we're experiencing in our context. Um, so we've definitely worked with artists and writers outside of that space or people who have come into it thoughtfully. Um, so yeah, and then nationally, yeah, so we do like the, the art book fairs, and I was at Common Field as well um, in some of our conferences. And at the book fairs, it's kind of challenging. I felt pretty out of place at most of them, actually, which I think is actually a positive thing because it means that um, people who, uh, it's like, it feels a little bit out of place because people don't always want to take the time to actually learn what Press Press is. They're more interested in photo books or like things that look cool and aren't like, you know, it'll be like, here's some photo books and here's a book about racism or whatever, and like nobody's gonna sit and, um, but some people do and that's really great. And then we can have a conversation about Baltimore, like the things that relate to what, you know, like have a deeper conversation and that's really cool. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of like weird at the book fair sometimes, but it's also really fun and um, yeah. Yeah, good. I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the things that I was, because we've like, seen each other at, at various book fairs, yeah. and I've always been curious as to like how people are reacting to your table or, or to press press as a, as a project. Yeah, so, it's hard. It's also hard in like a money sense because like we don't really sell, like half our tables like free shit. And like, you know, I don't know, like it just feels a little bit out of place in the sort of organizational sense. Like we're not a business really. and like, yeah, it's like a very much a publishing project, but it's, you know, making art books is not the, like making beautiful objects is part of it, but it's not the goal. And so, or not the only goal. Yeah. So I feel like art book fairs are like, sort of access one of the things that we do. And if somebody's willing to, they can sort of understand the other things that we do. Um. So maybe like one of the other things you guys do. Did uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I fuck up your question? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm just really bad at segues. <laughs> so I'm just going to be like, you know, occasionally awkwardly trying to put the next question forward. Um, but what I was trying to form a, a statement or try to hear a little bit more about. Uh, an idea of publishing as a form of collecting and archiving. Um, Kimmy, you've been in like several uh, several book pieces collecting like conversations and texts. I'm thinking specifically of real, real uh, textbook for realness, collecting text sections of books that are important to various people, um, and then republishing like uh, scanned or photocopies sections of text, and sentiments collecting conversations with immigrants. Um, and with, third, with your like, seven essays you did for Common Field, um, all about archiving, I'm curious about two things. But part one is uh, how do you view, or do you view your like site or your physical space as like an, an archiving space or an archival space? Um, and if not, then <laughs> uh, but that's part one. Is if you can just like talk about that idea at all or how you see uh, the publishing products themselves as a collection of, of things. You want to go first? Sure. You got the first part. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, so 
So real real and Simpson. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so real real is a textbook that we used in a series of textbooks we recently made. Um, but we made them because we started basically when we moved into our space like two years ago, we had this uh, our first event which was just like a, a conversation with a bunch of people um, about what we wanted to happen in the space and what how people like we were sort of talking about like what structures we want to exist in general, but then also like what do we want for this space? And out of that conversation, we sort of decided that we wanted to have a library, um, or like that was kind of a, it just made sense out of that conversation to start a library. And so in starting a library, uh, or starting this like library collection, we decided to reach out to a bunch of different people, some people who had participated in that conversation, other people who are, you know, have related to Press Press in some way or supported the project somehow to pick a series of books that they think are essential to any sort of library collection. And they pitched those books and then we got those books. And then those people picked other people to pick books. And then those people paired their books with the books that the first round of people picked. And then those people picked other people to pick books and those people paired their books with other books. So that's how the library was created. And since we did that process, we decided to create a series of textbooks that basically just we just scanned, like ripped parts of the books and scanned them and then um, made these textbooks that we then traded with people for new books for the library. So it was just kind of an extension of that process and a way to share um, with people outside of Baltimore like what were the books that people were really like, thought were important for any collection. Um, and it was another way of like create, not hierarchically creating a, a collection of books. Um, yeah, so that was that project. Um, and yeah, I guess it was a way of archiving like that process of, of creating the collection. And then Sentiments is a project that we started this summer that was, um, it's focused on sort of, basically like it started out of this frustration with how the identity of an immigrant is really oversimplified in various media and um, people say immigrant, but that's not really what they mean. And so we wanted to just like have conversations with different people about their relationship to that and also different ways that cultural passage or immigration can look like. Um, and so we started having those conversations and that's the process that is currently ongoing um, that will be sort of all compiled into a publication that will release in the summer or in August actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's another way of archiving conversations that we feel are necessary right now. Even, I mean, not even in a public sense, just in a sense of like, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. What are you experiencing? Like, yeah. Yeah, for us, I think we thought about archiving and uh, the archives from the moment that we started DART. Even our name is pulled from the Museum of Temporary Art Archives that are housed at the Smithsonian American Art archives downtown. Um, the name is drawn from a 1970-something exhibition called DC Dirt that they put on. Um, <coughs> and they are talking about uh, everyone rents or owns their own piece of DC Dirt and talking about issues of gentrification and being pushed out of the metro center area. Um, and so looking at that article that we found in the archives about issues that we're still facing today. Um, we are kind of talking about the, um, 
like realizing we're not the first and we're not the last to deal with these problems. And so we want to connect the past with the present, um, paying homage to the things that have come before us, but also archiving what's happening um, in the present day. Um, and so I think that the project that we did for Common Field was kind of us investigating different facets of the archives and acknowledging the problematic nature of archiving in general of um, like n certain narratives being pushed to the top of archives um, and who is creating the dialogue around what we archive. Um, and so we approached it se in seven different um, ways of talking about it. But that was more of like our investigation into it. And I would say like our website is the practice of actually doing that, um, whether it's through conversations or reviews or coverage. Um, I, we, I think we all view that as archiving. Whether the internet is an archive is a whole other question. <laughs> like, I don't know what we do. We print it out. Yeah. <laughs> like, if the internet is going down, <laughs> like, who knows? <laughs> and just like making the archive visible. Like, that was our whole project at Common Field was like, let's just like put it on display and say, like, we're actually archiving. This is what we're doing. Like, what are the things we're archiving? How are we archiving it? And sort of performing the archive. Um, creating a dialogue around it, yeah. uh, like how do we as artists or cultural producers start um, creating our own dialogue around the archives or how do we control our narrative? Because um, that's some, if we're noticing the problems within the archives and we're saying, okay, these dialogues are wrong or they're misrepresenting the time, then how do we fix that in the present? Uh, and a lot of that is like contemporary archives or like artists saving things and saving like their own stories and presenting that in a way that um, is able to tell people in the future the real story <laughs> um, and kind of solving those problems that we're seeing happen a lot in the past. So um, like for example our latest um, their endeavor is uh, a series that's called Entanglement. And it's basically um, based on the idea that when two people interact, they entangle. And it's our way of telling the community of artists that like, we really value the intimate relationships that happen within closed doors. And so we are interested in archiving those relationships. And that means we are interested in um, taking them and just um, opening that dialogue between how can people interact with each other and what are um, the developments that happen and how do we influence and inspire each other. And so it's really beautiful to see like a, a sister and sister talk about their processes separately and also together. And then having that um, shown publicly is a way of taking a personal archive and putting it publicly. Um, and so that's also like a, a very interactive way of how we view there as a, an active archive. I'm so glad you brought up entanglements. That's lead directly into my next question. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> I also just really love that, that entire project, having two people that are closely connected, talking about their processes, and, and having that as a really interesting like, common ground to start picking apart. Um, so whenever you launch that, I was just like super excited to be reading it. <laughs> um, 
but it, it does highlight this, this idea of the importance of dialogue in both practices of dirt and press press. Um, not just collecting and distributing conversations and interviews and publishing, but also through staging events and producing interactions and like cultivating these conversations as a way to like highlight the bond between something that is both personal and political, this, like, this kind of action. Um, I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit more about why that's important. Mm. <laughs> why the personal interactions? Uh, like presenting these personal interactions, like why, why is that mm. such an important action? For us, I think it's like, as part of the reason we wanted to create DART is that we, get, we kept seeing like um, the critic, like the critic versus the artist or like the critical lens being applied to the art community and not having a platform for the artists or the people participating in that community to speak for themselves. Um, and so we wanted to empower people from within our own community to you know, you can write about the show. You don't have to wait for the city paper or the Washington Post to come in and, you know, half-ass it or whatever. Like, yeah. they can, um, we can talk about it because we're already talking about it, whether it's, like, at the bar after the opening or, you know, like, directly with the artists. Like, those conversations are important. And so in that, I think that it's a lot of us, like, approaching people that wouldn't think of themselves as writers or think of themselves as critics or capable of doing that writing, encouraging them and saying, you know, we will, we'll work with you and we want to hear your opinion and it's valid and we want to archive it and we should be able to share it. Um, yeah. And so I think it's important too to show, to by um, putting value and supporting our relationships, we are also building relationships um, and it's important to show artists as a whole human being and not just through a small fraction of their humanity, just through their work and how it's being viewed and framed. And so it's important when having that intimacy of um, two people that know each other wholesomely to show the artist as a human being and why they deserve better, basically. Um, and yeah. I think that's very political um, yeah. in a way of existing um, as an artist and as a writer and as somebody who's having a voice and trying to say something, express it without, um, you know, beyond um, systematical, um, you know, political things that are against him or her. Um, yeah, I think similarly, um, self-representation is a really big value for our work, and that's kind of how Press Press started. Yeah. From a situation where, um, I mean, that's how I got into zines. I had a really great, um, like, zines were a transformative medium for me in the sense that I was able to take ownership over English as a form and also, um, you know, over my own narrative as opposed to somebody talking about me or for me. Um, and so Press Press came out of that process for me as a way to extend that to other people in my community or other people who um, were kindred in some way. And so self-representation has stayed a, a really big value in our work. And so everything that we do is a way for um, 
for people to step in and, and represent their own stories or take ownership over the language in whatever way that they want to. Um, and we try to be supportive of that process. Um, and yeah, and relationship building is a really big part of the work. It's actually more important than the publications or whatever is sort of produced for the outsider. Um, because that's, that's more of a document of the work. I think the work is really the relationships in the space. And I mean, obviously, it's all constituent parts. But um, I think the primary focus is the sort of things that happen on the inside. And I think, yeah, the sort of exporting of those conversations and those relationships is a way to try to push um, to change people's understanding of certain experiences. Um, but again, that's sort of, um, not that it's secondary, but I would say the relationships are, are more important. And uh, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is like, really leading to this idea of developing relationships and uh, creating spaces for, for sharing skills and publishing and a publishing practice that functions in a way that you can show other people that like they can control the narrative and publishing their own works and writing about what they want to and distributing in the way they want to. And it's like a, a radically uh, generous act. Um, and you're putting a lot of yourselves into these projects in, in a way that is like truly amazing to see. And I'm curious about uh, where you see your like personal practices because you have each have things you're doing outside of Dirt Press Press, where, where is the place for these, like, for, for these other projects uh, in relationship to Press Press or Dirt as a larger endeavor? Um, and how do, you, how do you make a separation between the two, or do you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, Press Press is a really personal project. And I actually don't see it as generous, although I, I understand the sentiment and I appreciate it, and I think generosity is definitely a value that it should hold. Um, but I think that, like, I mean, I guess it's generous in a way, but um, I think for me, uh, it is selfish also, and I think selfishness is also an important thing to hold in sort of community project, because if you're not, um, if it's not selfish, then there might be something else going on. Um, like, I definitely don't see it as service or anything like that, and I hate when it's positioned in that way. I think that's bullshit. Um, and, yeah, I think it's selfish because, you know, I love the work, and I, you know, it's, like, personally meaningful, and it comes from a personal place. So, yeah. And also, in that sense, like, it's definitely, I mean, I do other projects that are, um, kindred to Press Press. Press Press is definitely my longest term project, but it definitely fits within the broader umbrella of my practice. And I definitely consider it part of my practice, which I know is like complicated because it's so collaborative. Um, but I think, you know, working collaboratively and developing those models and methodologies that allow that to happen in ethical ways is also part of the work that I hold meaningful. Yeah, I would say that the generosity, I feel like comes more from the writers that are pitching to us and like writing for us because like for us yeah it's like it's our platform and we're excited to have people you know want to participate in that and so like it's generous of them to want to participate in that way and then the other in the other sense like the generosity that we all like the seven of us have to give to each other in our time because we all are 
either full-time students or working full-time within various uh, nonprofit arts organizations that are already like all-consuming. Um, and so like for us to dedicate an hour and a half of our time each week to be there for each other and the publication and to like really dedicate that time to creating that something that we're really proud of. Um, I'd say like, yeah, that's where the generosity kind of comes in um, and the balance. Yeah, <laughs> and like just a mutual level of like respect for like the ideas and then the positions that we're all taking. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I really like the radical generosity, the way you term it as radical, because I think that just means a mutual collaboration and it means an essential give and take, just like what Georgie said. It's not just us giving, we're more, we're, I feel like we're taking more than what we're giving um, back and we're learning a lot. Um, it's been really great to, yeah, to hear, to have people that are very excited to just share um, what they want to talk about and that's really important. Um, and uh, we are, we're growing a lot more uh, from that generosity. Um, yeah, we hope that a lot more people are get excited about it. Obviously, if it wasn't for um, the art community, then we would not be existing at all. Yeah. And it's, I think, it's, I mean, I've said that like that a lot of the people that are writing for us are new writers, but we're also brand new editors. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we started this publication and all of us had experience writing, but like, we, used to, we began it by saying like, okay, we'll each write a piece a month and we'll all take turns like you're writing. If you wanna, one person is writing, then you have an editor in the same way that we do now. But we learned to edit on each other, which was a big learning process. <laughs> um, yeah, and the first one was probably the roughest. I think that we learned a lot from that. Um, and we're still learning, so I think it's a m in the same way it's a mutual kind of learning process. Like, there are new writers, we're new editors, so like, we're learning the best way to deal with like different styles of writing and different styles of editing, and each one of us is a bit different. And so, um, yeah. And we do write a lot together and edit a lot together, and so it's like kind of really messy and frustrating <laughs> most of the time, but it's also a learning curve. Yeah. Um, and it, it really says a lot about like how, why we, our product is kind of like this interesting and I want to say successful because it really requires all of our efforts because we are so different from each other. And we bring a lot, and so we're fighting a lot in meetings, and because we all just have a strong voice and want to put that across, and we also compromise in a lot of ways, so we can have the final product. And sharing like the workload has been like an interesting thing, like how do seven people like produce a website, produce social media, pr like put yeah. out emails, like how do you like balance that and have like when you know some people have stronger admin skills or some people have stronger editing skills like how do you as like a group put something like that together and be non-hierarchical so like at the end of the day yeah. like who decides what we actually <laughs> do you know and so that's been like an interesting balance too yeah I'd say seven people is great but it's also very very hard <laughs> like, like getting all seven people in the same 
space, even if that means they're on the internet or whatever, on the phone. Yeah. But then also deciding on who's going to take those responsibilities and who's yeah. going to, and like when is it going to, and who's responsible to who if that doesn't happen. And so group accountability yeah. and res like resource sharing and being able to say like, we've learned to be really honest with each other and saying like, hey, I have a big project at school or I have a big project at work and I can't take that on. Um, whereas I think at the beginning we were like, yeah, I'm going to do it all. <laughs> like, it'll all be done tonight. And like, when it didn't happen, it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, we'll get it next time. <laughs> and now we're kind of like, it doesn't help to, to embellish in the yeah. meetings. Um, yeah. So we're learning. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's all the questions that I have for you. But I'm, I would like to open up the floor either for questions from the audience or if you have questions for each other. Uh, yeah, so if, right here in the back. I have one that just kind of piggybacks <laughs> off of what you just said. That it's, so when you start an organization like the ones that you're working in with all these creative people, like you probably have an idea like how it's going to start, but then everybody has input and it starts to evolve. And what were some, what's something that like surprised you about how it has turned out or projects you've taken on that turned out differently than you thought it would have? Hmm, yeah. I feel like every <laughs> single one. Yeah. <laughs> something and ends up being something else uh, or something like a variation of it and definitely something better than what we had in mind, I think, in all, all of our projects. It yeah. starts to grow like hundredfolds, um, just yeah, and it's it's surprising all the time. I think that's why we keep going at this and we, why we keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I would say that we we tend to make things more work for ourselves <laughs> than we, to we complicate need to. things. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also part of the non-hierarchical thing, like. For Common Field, we got commissioned to do one essay, and we said, how about seven? <laughs> like, and we're like, yeah, that'll be easy, because we'll all be writing and all be editing and all producing a zine at the exact same time, thinking that would be simpler than having just one person. Um, but it turned out amazing, and we we're really happy to do that. But yeah, it's always a little bit different than we expect. And I think a learning curve was like, what are all of our strengths? Uh, maybe going in, we thought we were a really strong editor, and then reality was like, oh, I'm better with the admin, or I'm better with this. Like, and so being real with each other, being like, you know what, I'll take the emails on, yeah. <laughs> like, or I'll send the packages of like the hats that go out, because with me, I know it'll sit in my mailbox for like three <laughs> weeks or something. Like, like it won't happen. So, yeah. Yeah, and we do hold ourselves account and each other accountable. And so I think that really helps a lot, um, just in, certain, in terms of like, discipline. Um, you know, we this is all of our like side things, um, and it's not any source of income at all or anything. And so it really is passion, rigor, and just constant interaction and bouncing off of each other's energies and uh, ideas. and just, yeah, sheer ambition to transform something and build something. Yeah. One huge thing that we learned this year was that conference calls are really not great for us. <laughs> like, we, we did it, we meet weekly and we we're holding it on a conference call line and being able to have that disconnect and not see someone's face 
led us to be really mean to each other and like <laughs> not like be so like <laughs> like I'm talking to a person and it was just like get it done. <laughs> I'm joking around. Yeah, I was like, are you laughing? <laughs> like, this is a business call. <laughs> but then when we were on the the video chat or whatever, like it changed immediately. <laughs> like we were all present and we were like, wow, this is great. Like you're there and I'm here and how's your day and like. <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> like, I think we all were like, this is it. We're quitting. Like, One year. Yeah. <laughs> and then video chat changed the game. <laughs> it's like, what are you eating? Like, what's going on in the background? Like, it was a huge improvement. Kobe. <laughs> yeah. You can see all the pets. <laughs> yeah. I think for us, originally set out and I think part of that is like just letting go of control and sort of allowing the project to take the form that it needs to take and people do what they need to do and just sort of guiding it or um, adding in sort of suggestions or comments when when only when necessary. Um, strategies on conflict resolution. Like, I was thinking about DIRT and how you added a seventh person, and all I was thinking is like, they had a seventh person, so they don't have a tie. They have a yeah. <laughs> because That's true. I never else. thought about that. <laughs> um, but as well as uh, paper, paper, you have different people from different <laughs> parts of the world. Um, how do you resolve the conflict that happened internally? It's difficult, <laughs> um, but I think we've go to spa world. <laughs> <laughs> frequent trips to spa world. Uh, no, I think that we we fight a lot, and that's just part of the process. And I think that the conflict is part of what keeps us going in a way, like being able to hash out those conversations and not just have somebody say, "Okay, go ahead, put it on the website." Like uh, being able to like because. For us, it's like if you're hearing that feedback from within your group, then you're going to hear it when you publish it. So being able to hear all those sides during the meeting when you're talking about the idea is much healthier than the alternative. And I think that, yeah, I never thought about the sixth and seventh <laughs> person. But um, yeah, I think that like the DMV conflict that we went through of like that meeting of like, are we going to drop it or what? Um, it's a long conversation, but I think that because we are non-hierarchical, like we had to have a majority in that decision, and it had to come down to like we're all—it wasn't even a majority; like we all had to agree on it, or like, it wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, we can talk about as well. Uh, we made this manifesto called uh, Manifesto for Tender Work. People in Baltimore that create, like collaborative. We created a set of principles that um, guide tender collaborative work, or help to build tenderness into collaborative work. And one of them is generosity. What is the thing? They're like be generous to your collaborators' identities and experiences. I really need um, this. Like, control. <laughs> uh, there's all these things. So I think, like when we have, like we since doing that, um, that that is sort of a set of 
principles that we individually adhere to and we try to use in the bigger collaborative projects to sort of guide the, the way that we work with one another. Um, and one of the things in it, I think one of the most important things is sort of understanding that the project never takes priority over the relationships that we have with one another um, and that we can't expect one another to prioritize, you know, us or the project over whatever's going on in their lives or in our lives. Um, and so in that sense, we're actually not good at holding one another accountable um, because, yeah, like it's, the, you know, for me, the project is sort of more central because I've, I started it and I'm the only person that has been involved in it for the past four years. Um, but that doesn't mean that other people, like other people have stepped in and taken it really seriously and, and been really active. And when that happens, it's sort of super open and like, yes, like you're part of the process and you're part of the decisions. Um, but I think, yeah, we're not that good at the accountability thing because it's like the relationship always is a priority over the product. And so in those situations, like things can be difficult and timelines get extended. Yeah. Our group Texas Wilds. <laughs> we tried to say at one point no business in our group text, and it literally went silent <laughs> for like two weeks, and then we had to send a newsletter, <laughs> and it was back on. <laughs> well, thanks. Any other questions? of the archive, um, from libraries to archives. So two questions. Can you talk more about the performing the archive? That's really interesting because there's this whole discussion of invisible and obscured labor in archives, especially as it's a traditionally feminized profession, um, and the actual work that's required to do this and being able to actually be involved and active. Um, and the second is, are you engaging with the archives community locally? I noticed that um, Jennifer Kishi is in the zine, which is awesome, um, because I think within parts of the archives and libraries community, it's starting to become a conversation and recognition. There's the hashtag archives so white. <laughs> yeah. That is, you know, within, as, as new people, new voices are coming into the profession, recognizing and saying, hey, this is something we have to fix. So are you engaging with that um, locally, nationally, however? Yeah, uh, I think that it's important for us to speak directly with an archivist for that project, and that's why I wanted to speak with Jennifer. Um, and that conversation was so important for the rest of all of the pieces, I think, that uh, having that contemporary conversation of like, yes, there's problems from the past, but let's, talk about, let's also acknowledge that as people currently doing this and are working with living artists to create contemporary archives, um, I think that that was just the beginning of that, and we want to keep connecting with um, local archives. Um, I know that <coughs> when I spoke with Jennifer and her project um, in LA um, is like connecting local uh, contemporary archivists in that field and to have informal meetups and to have those conversations. Uh, I so I know that's happening in LA, but we haven't really connected it too much in, in DC. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the project we were doing was based yeah. in LA, we wanted to have that connection and that conversation happening a little bit there. But 
We've been talking with uh, some folks at the American Archives to um, to try to do something together in the future. So, um, yeah. yeah, and we're continuing the conversation in LA because the uh, Los Angeles, they're like the county is doing an, a data fund and archiving, and they approached us about replicating our model for them and like what that means. They saw us at Common Field and were like, "Whoa, you made it visible! Like, what does that mean? How do we do this? Like, is this something that we can adapt to our conference, which is like." mostly archivists and like how do you like translate that like because I'm like well you know I was trying to get someone to like upload their notes to like Google Drive you know and like we're like metadata you know okay yeah, yeah okay sure <laughs> uh, and so that's been interesting for us working with them now to like sort of replicate a model that then can be used because you know we're just we're trying to like put these ideas out there and use them and how it can grow from there I guess yeah and like in terms of like the performative side of it it was literally us wearing like jumpsuits they like these like <laughs> utopian dystopian like jumpsuits uh, because that made us approachable yeah. in a way that you wouldn't if you're wearing just normal clothes so you're able to seek us out within the conference and like say like oh there's that there's the archivist like there's the archivist in the field yeah. which is what you're talking about of like the invisibility kind of invisible work that's happening um, and so we wanted to be able to have those conversations in person with people um, and to talk about like what it means to maintain an archive um, personally yeah. or let's What's talk about being the archives yeah. even like is it just like photos and videos is it we did pocket collections you know like people empty their pockets this is what I have at the conference and like recording yeah. those things and yeah, also <laughs> yeah, but also like different levels of archiving too that we were talking about. Like, um, d is it just like boxes on boxes in a uh, in like a sterile environment, or like what does it look like in a real sense in your apartment? Like, rent is expensive, and how can you store that stuff? And like, how is there a way of like digitizing that, and so that you can keep it all in one place and not have to carry around the physical stuff or um, yeah, so <laughs> we're working on it still. <laughs> we're growing. Um, for the essays, we really kind of branched out. And um, just talking about the piece that I wrote, I um, went to the Franklin Furnace, and that was kind of the base of my research in talking about how to archive performance art in the internet age. Um, and so that was very interesting. Um, I think we also worked on how to view, or how, like, kind of sort of like a guide or an awareness piece of how, about how to use the archive and put like a social political lens to whatever archive you're using or um, trying to work with in your research. And so that means that you know who has archived this piece and why, and what is being erased from the archive and why. And why is history being written in this way? And um, so those one piece, um, and then how is the archive being embodied for people of um, color or queer people? Um, and how is archiving a performance also um, of the body um, in real life? And the daily um, is something that we're all very interested in investigating. 
Um, it's all been sort of um, an experience and more kind of probing of these questions and, um, you know, like a poking a hole in a big, big balloon. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's, it's something that we're going to be continuing. Yeah. And we produced a zine that has all seven of the essays, and we have them here tonight for free. Yeah. So you can take them home. Realistically, <laughs> though, everybody's like archiving everything all the time. And so, like, what does that actually mean? Like, and especially with social media, like, Instagram even now has an archive <laughs> button. Like, what does that mean? Like, it's on Instagram. Like, so it's just like yeah. building awareness about yeah. how to be intentional about this archiving and in a way to, you know, as we talked about narrative and producing your own narrative, um, I think that's a, a huge part of that representation is to take agency and be inten intentional about archiving yourself and your life. Yeah. I want to keep going. Any more questions? Anyone else? Do you guys have any questions for each other? Can we work together? <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, well, I'm excited for the future of Press Press Dirt collaborative endeavor, uh, the genesis of which was now reported. <laughs> <laughs> Credit here first. Credit paper cuts. <laughs> um, well then, one more time, I just wanted to thank everyone for coming and spending your time and your evening with us tonight. Um, and thank you for Press Press and everyone just being here and, and giving your time and, and talking with us. And thank you to Jennifer Lewis, our producer back here, who's been recording everything. And none of us are awake. <laughs>